Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, we continue our study here. Pardon me. And we pick up on the second half of verse 18. Paul writes here and he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance, that is, his suffering and his imprisonment. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I I, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, as we've prayed about, we have this election coming up on the 8th of June, and uh, I know many of you are excited about going to the polls and voting and and seeing what the outcome is going to be. Uh, But one thing that I uh, am so thankful for here in the United Kingdom is that we don't have the same kind of obsession with the general election that we have in the United States. Uh, I was looking at uh, here in the UK, we'll spend about 143 million pounds Uh, But uh, in the United States, uh, Clinton and Trump each spent about 1.7 billion pounds. So that's a a little bit of a difference between the two. But the other difference that you kind of note, and maybe it's part of the reason why there's this difference, is that in the United States, patriotism is a really big issue. Uh, I remember growing up, Uh, that every day, every morning when we were at school, we would stand together and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance uh, to the flag of the United States. Uh, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the nation for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I think I got it mostly right. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, and it's amazing. And every day you get that. And that was really important. What many people don't realize is that that patriotism wasn't always there. It actually came into being very strongly around the First World War. And that's because in many parts of the United States, we had strong Italian and German immigrant communities that were still speaking Italian and still speaking German. And so you can imagine when we're engaging in the war and there's starting to be questions, okay, you're speaking German, are, are you supporting Germany in the war? Uh, a lot of people got very nervous. Uh, that's at the time when many German-speaking churches actually put a United States of America flag in their sanctuary as a clear de declaration that we're for the United States, we support the United States. Uh, and, uh, and out of that, grew this real strong sense of patriotism and valuing the nation. And that continued to grow over the decades that followed that. Now, obviously, Christians then began to struggle with that a little bit because you go, you go into the sanctuary and still in the United States, in many churches, you walk into the sanctuary and you will see up at the front of the sanctuary a United States of America flag. It's part of the tradition. And now, if you take the flag out, like I proposed to do in my last church, you can create a lot of problems. Because then people say, well, aren't you supporting the United States and all this? And no, you know, clearly we are supporting the United States. And so what Christians did was in the United States, they came up with a Christian flag. And the Christian flag would balance out the American flag. And I do remember uh, in certain youth groups and things in church, we learned a pledge to the Christian flag, but I can't remember the pledge to the Christian flag because I didn't do it that much. I didn't do it that often, but we had the two things side by side. And even today, you walk into many uh, sanctuaries in the United States and you'll see on one side the American flag, on the other side the Christian flag, and the key thing is to note which side because one side is a side of prominence and the one side is a, 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 the secondary side and the Christian flag should always be in the prominent position. Because it reminds us that no matter where you are from, the real issue of citizenship for a Christian is not whether you're from Nigeria or from the United States or from the United Kingdom. And if you're in the United Kingdom, if you're from England, Scotland, Wales, or Ireland, uh, you know, those are big issues. Uh, don't ever call an Irish person English uh, unless you want to die. Uh, you know, it's just a, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and you have all these other nationalities, but the truth is that as a Christian, our citizenship is not the United States, the United Kingdom, Nigeria, uh, any other country you can name. Our real citizenship is the kingdom of God. But so often we forget this. So often we put a primacy on our nationality or a primacy on our city loyalty or even a primacy on our ethnic background or a primacy on our football team. Go Arsenal. Oh, did I say that? Oh, sorry. But the truth is, for Christians, the challenge is that we put our primacy on the fact that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. 
We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And every other citizenship in our lives, every other membership in our lives, every other ethnic identity in our lives has to be secondary to our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And this is the point that Paul is actually making in the passage today. Paul is making this point in the passage today we read from Philippians. And in this passage, Paul is giving us the responsibility of kingdom citizens, the mindset of kingdom citizens, and the orientation of kingdom citizens. In other words, as citizens of the kingdom, we have an overarching responsibility. In order to fulfill that responsibility, we must have a certain mindset. And in order to fulfill that responsibility, we must orient our lives in a certain way if we are to be citizens of the kingdom. The responsibility is found there in the text in verse 27, where he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now you won't pick this up, but the Greek word for manner of life is the word from which we get the English word politics. It is always used of one's citizenship, of one's engagement in the civil society. But obviously for Paul, he's not talking about the civil society. He's talking about the kingdom society. And so he's saying here, literally, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing you notice with Paul is when you read the word gospel in Paul, that is almost always synonymous with the word kingdom. So the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of Christ are very similar. He's meaning the kind of the same thing. Because for Paul, the good news of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the good news, Jesus said. The good news that was inaugurated by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, bodily resurrection on the third day, his ascension into heaven, the fact that he's coming again, the giving of his Holy Spirit, that kingdom reign, that good news of all of that is the kingdom. It's what Paul was all about. And so when you read Gospel of Christ, Paul is talking really about the kingdom of God, which is the totality of the good news about Jesus. And so he says, let your citizenship, let the way that you work out your citizenship, let the way that you live your citizenship of the kingdom be worthy of the kingdom of God, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now this word worthy is the same concept when when Jesus says the workman is worthy of his hire, That's the same concept there. So in other words, what Paul is saying is that the way that we live our lives as citizens of the kingdom of God should be worthy of the death of Jesus. Jesus has paid a high price for us. Jesus died on the cross and he bore all of our sins on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus became like one of us, yet lived a sinless life. All of the things that Jesus did have an estimable value, have an estimable worth. And Paul is saying here that as we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, the way that we live should reflect the worth of Jesus. The way that we live should 
honor the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again from the dead for us. The way that we live should honor the fact, as Paul is going to tell us in a couple of weeks when we get into uh, Philippians chapter 2, of how Jesus emptied himself. The way that we live, the way that we act as citizens of the kingdom of God should reflect the worth and value of Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge for us. That's the challenge for us. And in that challenge, we have to remember two things. First of all, we have to remember that no one is a citizen by themselves. I don't set a kingdom and say, this is the kingdom of Rod, and I'm the only citizen in the kingdom of Rod. Nobody does that. It doesn't happen anywhere in the world. A kingdom consists of a group of people. Always. You cannot fulfill your citizenship alone. I know so many Christians that say, well, I don't really need the church. I don't really need to be with God's people. I can serve Jesus by myself. I can honor God. I worship God better when I'm out in nature, killing things. Oh, that's in the United States. That's what they have. Uh, I worship when I'm better out in nature, hunting deer or something like that, killing things. Uh, I, I worship better when I'm out on the ocean. I worship better when I'm by myself in a hermit's cave. Uh, and actually, what the Bible is saying here, what Paul is saying here, is that's a lie. You cannot be a citizen alone. You have to engage in citizenship with other citizens. On the 8th of June there's going to be a bunch of people going to the polls to vote. There won't just be one person. There will be a group of people. And citizenship is successful the bigger the group of people you can get together engaging in their citizenship. That's why we want more and more people to vote regardless of the outcome. And the second dynamic you need to understand about citizenship in light of this is that even though we have to be together, even though we have to work together, even though we have to be connected to one another as citizens, at the same time we all have different callings, we have different tasks, we have different character, we have different responsibilities, all of that within our citizenship. So in this country, in order for that to work, we have to have plumbers and joiners and accountants and people in government and people in education and on and on and on and on. And for the kingdom of God to work, you have to have citizenships, citizens engaging in a variety of ways in their citizenship. But the key thing is that we must exercise our citizenship in a manner that reflects the worth and value of Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, I'm not going to give you a prescription, and Paul doesn't give us a prescription, but Paul goes on then to tell us what the mindset is of kingdom citizens and the orientation that is required of kingdom citizens. First, the mindset. Paul, in the, the opening verses that we read here, he says, yes, and I will rejoice. Kingdom citizens choose to rejoice. They have a mind that chooses to rejoice that focuses on joy. We've said this many times, that joy comes by what you focus on. If I focus on everything that's wrong in the United Kingdom, I could be pretty depressed. But if I focus on everything good in the United Kingdom, I feel joy because I'm part of the United Kingdom. If I focus on everything wrong with the United States, I'll get really depressed 
Uh, and if I focus, but if I focus on the good that's in the United States, I am joyful that I'm an American citizen. If I focus on everything bad in London, I'll think London is a cesspool. But if I focus on the good that's here in London, and the fact that London is the greatest city on the planet, I think, then I'm going to have joy. And so a mindset of the kingdom citizen is, first of all, to choose joy. And keep on choosing joy. And that's why this whole series is called Rejoice, because rejoicing is one of the primary themes of the entire letter to the church in Philippi. Now, so we have to choose joy. Then Paul goes on and talks about... Uh, uh, whoops, I, I, I... Sorry. I hate it when I do that. There we go. Let's go up there. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The second dynamic is that we have to embrace our need both for prayer and for what the Holy Spirit brings to us. Embrace our need for prayer, not only our own prayers, but the prayer of other people and what the Holy Spirit supplies to us, how the Holy Spirit enables us. First of all, we need other people and we need God in order to conduct our citizenship. And if you think you have everything that you need just by yourself, you'll never be a great citizen. You need the prayers of yourself and others. You need the Spirit of God to supply you with the abilities to conduct your citizenship. Karen and I know that we would never have survived the 16 years almost that we've been here in London had it not been for a global network of people who have been praying for us regularly over the last 15 plus years. It's key. We need that. We send out regular prayer updates to these people so that they will continue to engage in us, with us in prayer. And I know that I can't do anything without the supply of the Holy Spirit in my life. I, I couldn't even be up here today bringing the Word of God to you had it not been for the fact that the Spirit of God is inside of me enabling me to do it. Enabling me to overcome my weaknesses, enabling me to overcome my bad attitude, giving me the strength and ability to see the Word of God and interpret it and apply it. So we need to embrace our need, especially for prayer and for the Spirit of God. And then Paul goes on and says this great verse, which is to live for me, to live as Christ, and to die as gain. I think it's one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. This was Paul's attitude, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And it also reflects the mindset that is required of kingdom citizens. Too often we think that everything is about this world and everything is about us. And it's not in either case. It's not about you and it's not about this world. It's about what God is doing much more broadly than this. So for for me, when I live, the purpose of my living is to live in a manner worthy of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. That's the challenge. That's what he means, for me to live as Christ. And if I live, that means that I'm going to serve Christ and I'm going to serve Christ's people. I'm going to be engaged in all of this. That's for me to live as Christ. And also, it reminds us that if we die, we don't lose anything. In fact, 
when we die, we gain something. We gain eternity. We gain our heritage. We gain that new resurrection body. We gain that new unhindered relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We gain that relationship with other believers. We gain the worship of heaven. We gain uh, ruling and reigning with Christ. All of this gain comes to us when we die. Now, I'm not in a hurry to die because for me to live is Christ. But if I didn't know that for me to live is Christ, why would I want to just get old and gray and fall apart and fall into dementia or some kind of long-term disability when I get to be 80 or 90 or 100 years old? No, I want to live for Jesus. And when my life no longer counts for Jesus, then I'm ready for God to call me home. But as long as I'm in this world, I'm going to assume that my purpose here is to live for Christ. And that's the mindset that Paul says that we need to have if we're going to be kingdom citizens. We need to believe it, we need to affirm it, we need to embrace it. And then Paul goes on and and talks about the fact that if he does stay, and the reason he would stay is so that he could be a benefit to the people in Philippi, the Philippian Christians. In other words, the, the attitude here is that God has given us leaders for our progress and joy in the faith. And that's what Paul said. Uh, If I live, what I want to do is to help you and see your progress and joy in the faith. And for me as a leader, that's what I want to do. I, I, I love to see the progress of people in the faith and the joy of people in the faith. Uh, and I'm very excited about y- you all, frankly. I'm very excited about this church. Even in the last couple of weeks, I have had several conversations that have demonstrated to me that people are progressing and have joy in the faith. And that's just in the last couple of weeks. And that's just casual conversations, a couple of meetings that I've had. And I look and, I, and I'm thinking, I am so proud of the people in this congregation because I see your progress and your joy in the faith. And I want to see it more. And that's what I live for. If I was living for anything else, frankly, I would rather be living probably up in Scotland somewhere on the Isle of Lewis on the beach, enjoying scallops hand-dived off the coast there, and fresh fish brought in on the boats. No, but that's not why I exist. I exist here to see your progress and joy in the faith, and that's the attitude that's needed of leaders, and the attitude that's needed of us, and I have leaders in my life as well, of us as followers, is that we need to know that God has put those leaders in our lives for our progress and joy in the faith. So this describes the mindset of kingdom citizens. They choose to rejoice. They embrace their need, especially for prayer and for the Spirit of God. Uh, they, they are people who say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I know that God has given me leaders so that I can progress and have joy in the faith. And I need to be doing that. But not only then do we need a mindset, we need an orientation of our lives. And I really struggled to pick the right word that describes what Paul is describing here. I tried, I thought, it well, is it the word stance? No, is it the word position? No, that's not quite it. And so finally I came up with this idea of orientation. 
And what I mean by orientation is that I can have uh, Karen sitting up here in the front, and I can have two orientations with respect to my wife. Uh, one orientation is this. And another orientation is this. Now, which do you think I'm going to choose? The first one, aren't it? Yeah, I want to turn toward my wife. I want to be oriented toward her because I know that when I orient my life toward her, that it's going to work out better for me and I'm going to be happier and she's actually going to become stronger. Uh, Interesting dynamic, uh, how we tend to become more and more like the people that we love and uh, how they influence us just through that process. But that's a, that's a, a whole, different, whole different kind of story. But that's what we're talking about in terms of our orientation. And Paul begins to describe the orientation required in the verses that follow verse 27 when he tells us our responsibility as kingdom citizens is to let our citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And verse 27 to verse 30, by the way, is one sentence in Greek. It's a long, very, very complicated sentence. Gives translators the fits. That's why I'm glad I'm not a translator. But I can just critique translations. Uh, so, uh, so the orientation. The orientation. There's four dynamics in this orientation. He first uh, he goes on and says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are, here, here we go, standing firm in one spirit. The first thing is we stand firm in one spirit. Now in the ESV, the translators has, have chosen to put the small s on the spirit, but I believe that probably the better translation would be to put the big S as in the Holy Spirit. Because every other time in Paul's writing, when he talks about standing or doing something in one spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, not in the sense that we'd say esprit de corps or the spirit of the body. Uh, the spirit, you know, the, the spirit that we have together, oh, there was a good spirit to that meeting. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so he says the first thing that we need to do if we're going to live out our kingdom citizenship in a way that's worthy of Jesus, is to be standing firm. Reminds us of what he said in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about spiritual warfare. Our responsibility in spiritual warfare is not to have victory. Our responsibility in spiritual warfare is simply to stand. And after we've done everything, to stand firm. And this is the idea that Paul has. The first thing we have to do is plant ourselves firmly in Jesus Christ in one Spirit of God. We understand that together we have one Spirit of God. That one Spirit of God is the one who lives inside of us, who gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we use in ministry, who, gives us the, who helps us produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's one Spirit. And our role here as kingdom citizens to live successfully is to stand firm in that one spirit. We're going to stand and we're going to stand together and we're going to stand firm in one spirit. Absolutely essential. Then he goes on and he says, uh, he continues on, I keep wanting to skip down to chapter 2. He continues on and says, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
So not only do we stand firm in one spirit, but we need to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now what Paul means by this, first of all, that word strive side by side is the same word that you would use for Arsenal and Chelsea's football teams yesterday and how they need to play football together. In other words, it's the word from which we get athletics. And the word means doing athletics together. Playing together as a team. Working together as a team. Engaging in the game as a team. So our role is to strive together in athletics as a team, to work together as a team, to have a teamwork mindset. We have a teamwork mindset for, uh, for the, 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 excuse me, for the faith of the gospel. And faith here, whenever you read this in Paul, when he's talking about something like the faith of the gospel or the faith, what he's talking about is the totality of our Christian belief and practice. So when Paul talks about the faith, he's talking about worshiping together, praying together, reading the Bible together, studying the Word of God, ministering together, uh, the belief that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and so on and so on and so on. So he says, play together as God's team by the rules that God has set out for the kingdom. As we work together as a team, we don't represent the United States or the United Kingdom or Nigeria or Arsenal or Chelsea or whatever team. We represent the team of God. We're Jesus' team. And that has to be our orientation to remember we're on the team. Now, the quickest way for a team to fail to win is for the team to fight or for people on the team not to do what they're supposed to do or not to follow the coach or not to play by the rules. All of these things will always cause a team to fail. And Paul says our orientation has to be that we're standing firm in one spirit, playing together as one team according to the rules of the faith of the kingdom of God. That is our orientation here. And then he goes on and says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. We're at a time where it's very easy for the world to intimidate us. I don't know if you watch All Blacks rugby, if you're a rugby fan, uh, but they do this thing, what's, what's called the haka, I think it is, or something like that, which is probably has its orientations in demonic worship. Uh, so I, I always have a little bit of mixed feelings about it. But, you know, you, you always see it as like, and they're in there together. Now, what's the purpose of it? The purpose is to intimidate the enemy. And we have an enemy who is trying to intimidate us. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they try to intimidate us. We have a lot of opponents. You know, people like Richard Dawkins, he wants to intimidate Christians by his intellectual fervor. And there are a lot of other people who want to intimidate us away from the faith, and our mindset, our orientation has to be that we're standing firm we're working together as a team, so we're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to capitulate to the intimidation of the world who says we're extremists for wanting to tell people about Jesus. 
We're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to be frightened. And then the final dynamic here is that we need to embrace suffering. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, hey, that's great, but also suffer for his sake. Boy, everybody loves that. You know, they say, God, Rod, preach more on suffering. I love that suffering bit that you preach on. It's so good. And uh, none of us like that. But what Paul says is that our mindset has to be that we're going to embrace suffering and difficulty for Jesus. And not only that, it is God's grace. That word granted is the same word from which we get grace. So in other words, God's grace not only leads us to believe, but it's also God's grace that leads us into suffering and difficulty because ultimately that's how we learn. I hate to say it, but most of us wouldn't learn anything if we didn't have to go through suffering and difficulty. Uh, If God told me that I could eat as much cherry pie as I wanted to, I'd never learn how to eat a good diet. Uh, If when I was in school, if I didn't have a teacher that says, hey, you're going to have an exam and you're going to get graded on this exam and whether or not you pass the exam will determine whether you proceed or you regress. If it hadn't been for that, I never would have studied. I'm not naturally inclined. It is not something that, oh, yeah, I want to stay up all night tonight and write a paper. You know, that's never been me. Uh, The truth is there are so many things we don't learn unless we're willing to suffer. And the truth is as well that we will never get victory unless we embrace pain and difficulty and suffering. Because if our enemy knows that he can make us a little uncomfortable and get us to walk away from the faith, guess what? He's going to make you uncomfortable to get you to walk away from the faith. And so if you don't have an orientation in your life that embraces pain, difficulty, and suffering, you will always lose. You will always lose. And if you have an orientation in your life that says, no matter what I go through, no matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it is, I'm going to serve Jesus and I'm going to love the people around me. And sometimes it's more painful to love the people around you than it is to serve Jesus. But loving the people around you is part of your serving Jesus. If you have that mindset, though, in your life that no matter how painful it is, I'm going to serve Jesus, I'm going to love people around me, and I'm going to keep going and keep going, you will win. Always. And we win together. Because the victory that we bear is not a solitary victory, it's a united victory. There's no way that I win as the pastor of this church without everybody involved. There's no way. I might be the team captain for now, but there's no way we win without everybody's participation. I'm not that good. Nobody is. So we need that orientation. So we have, we have a command. We have a responsibility as citizens of the kingdom of God to engage in our citizenship in a way that reflects the worth of Jesus. And the only way to do this is to embrace the mindset of the kingdom, a mindset that chooses to rejoice, that embraces our need, that knows that to live is Christ, to die is gain, to realize that God has given us leaders for our progress and joy. 
And the only way that we can engage in this command is also to have the orientation of the kingdom, standing firm in one spirit as Christ's team, not intimidated by the other team, and willing to embrace whatever pain and difficulty and suffering comes our way. And as we do that, the kingdom of God expands. Nothing can keep it from it. It's not about what we do, but it's about how Jesus works in us. And so if we determine to engage in our citizenship in a way that reflects the worth and honor of Jesus, that citizenship, that kingdom, that rule, that reign of Jesus cannot help but expand across the globe. And that's exactly what God is doing today. And that's exactly what he calls us to engage in. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we choose to live for you. We exalt your name and we worship you. Jesus, you are the king. You are the Lord. You are the one who loves us. You are the one who died for us and rose from the dead. And we exalt you and give you praise and honor and glory. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as we worship you, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us any way that our mindset has not been a kingdom mindset. And Father, I pray that you would reveal to us by your Spirit any way that our orientation has not been a kingdom orientation. Not to condemn us, but to lead us in repentance so that we would have a shift in our mindset and a shift in our orientation so that we might engage in our citizenship of the kingdom of heaven in a way that reflects the worth and glory of Jesus. We love you. We exalt you. We honor you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.